Well, good morning, and thank you for being here. It's good to see you. It's been a long time since I saw your bright, smiling faces. So if you're new at Renewal Church, and I want to speak to you for just a second, um, I just want you to know you're not alone. Last week, 20% of our church were first or second time guests. And I think that we're hitting close to that again this week. So if you're new here, you are in good company. And if you're going like, I'm not sure how this church works yet. Is it a cult? I don't know. Do I have to call the pastor dad or something? Like, none of that. It's not going to be weird like that. We're going to teach from the Bible today. I hope it's going to be meaningful. You can pull out these teaching notes because we're going to go through these together. We're going to study the Bible and try to make it applicable. I do want to say one other thing before we get started, which is that parking has been an issue for people. We just moved here like a month ago, so we're still trying to figure some things out. And we are working very hard on free parking. Free to you, not to us. But man, we love you guys. We believe in you. And so we're working on free parking. So just check your email this week, the weekly email. We'll send it out and give you some details on how that works, okay? That's, it's going to be good. All right. We're talking about neighbors and talking about um, our church and what we are absolutely committed to, what we will die before we give up, just who we are. Because as a church, we moved. And so we had these huge changes for us as a church. Now, I know if you're new, you're like, bro, this is my first week. I don't know what you're talking about. But for us, it was a big change. And so we said, you know what, let's go through a teaching series about what will never change for us as a church. And one of the things that will never change is that we are relentlessly focused on getting the news about Jesus to our friends, relatives, associates, and neighbors. That that is just, it is absolutely core to who we are. We believe that the church is made up of Christians, but the church is not for Christians. The church is for this world who doesn't yet know the joy and the the peace and the blessings of knowing Jesus. That's just who we are. That's what we're going to be about. And it's so important to us. Now, if you're not a person of faith or you're a more skeptical person or you're an atheist and you don't, you, you know, maybe your friend invited you here today and they're like, I promise I'll buy you lunch if you just come and listen. You're like, I don't know why I'm here. He's like, one of these things that is just such a tension point in our society is that Christians are constantly telling other people what they should believe. It's like, what is that about? Like, like nobody else in our society is like, hey, listen, really, this is the thing to believe. And if you don't get this, man, you don't get it. It's like, why would people do that? Well, for Christians, for us, it's not about us trying to get you to live the way that we live. Like, honestly, like, I could not care less If you don't believe like I believe and you act differently than I act, that's your prerogative. Like, I can't think of a less compelling and meaningful life than trying to control how other people live. I mean, could you think of a more miserable existence than that? No, for us as Christians, what motivates this for us, and maybe you've never heard this before if you're new to church, what motivates this for us is we believe that there is, there's this reality, there's this thing that's happening out there that people really want to know about. And there's a positive side and a negative side to that. On the positive side, um, I'm actually going to need the help of the the congregation today. So, like, who's a celebrity that people would actually want to meet if they were downstairs in the lobby of the hotel? Beyonce, thank you, right? I was like, I was, I was like, um, I tried this with Nicole. I'm like so old now, and I'm like Billie Eilish. She's like, no, don't say that. That's, that's just weird. That's like demonic or something. Um, okay, so if Beyonce was downstairs in the lobby, and I knew Beyonce was down there, and I didn't tell you, I would be a terrible pastor. They taught me that in seminary. They said, that's a bad pastor. No, right, because there's this thing happening, and you have the ability to hear about it or see about it and go down there and take a selfie with Beyonce. And, um, you know, it's like, if I didn't tell you about that, that would be unkind. That's the positive side of it. It's like, we can t- introduce you to this person, this, 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 this incredible person. There's a negative side of it, too. I thought about this recently with Hurricane Dorian. 
It's coming towards the coast. There's this huge reality that's just happening out there. And if you, if you, you know, you, you walk outside, say you live down in, the, in Florida and you walk outside and you talk to your neighbor and you go, hey, isn't this crazy? The Dorian's coming. They're like, man, who's Dorian? And you're like, dude, this guy's about to have a big problem. Like if he doesn't, if he doesn't live in light of this reality that's happening, like he's really going to suffer for it later. So it's my job as someone who loves him and cares about him to let him know about Hurricane Dorian that's coming at the coast, right? Like that's the negative side of it where it's like, hey, I want you to be prepared for this as well. And so as Christians, we just believe that there's this thing, this objective reality that's happening out there. And we want to help other people figure it out so that they can have the joy of knowing Jesus. And they can also avoid the pain of regret of meeting Jesus un. Prepared, And so that's what motivates us to do it. It is not about getting people out there who don't believe like us to behave like us. That is a foolish way to live. So that's what we're talking about today. And we've been working on this as a church for five years in the city. We've, we've been sharing about Jesus with other people. And I got to tell you, the city will just absolutely knock the snot out of you if you're not paying attention. So I've, you know, over the, over the course of the years, you know, I've shared about Jesus with a lot of people. And there's been times when it didn't go very well. I've told this story before. There's, um, there, was, there was one guy who, um, he, he, he was, he was kind of leaving our church, but he didn't, ha- he didn't know Jesus. And so I said, you know what, let me, let me sit down with this guy one more time because I really care about him. And let me just have that like come to Jesus talk with him. And so we sit down. It was a literal come to Jesus talk. And I sit down with him and I said, man, hey, listen, you know, here's what, it, here's what it means to follow Jesus. Here's what God gives. Here's the blessing that that is. What's keeping you from following Jesus? And he, was, he said, um, I just really like smoking weed and sleeping with girls. And I thought, you know, thank you for your honesty. And, he, and that was it. That was the last time we ever uh, spoke to each other in a meaningful way. And, and he left and went on his way. It was just like, it just didn't happen. But I remember another time at the church um, where a a young woman who was from um, a university nearby came to church. It was the first time I'd ever seen her. At the end of the service, she came up and said, I want to talk to you. And we pray for people at the end of the service. If you'd like us to pray for you, we would love to do that. Um, And she came up and said, listen, can I talk to you? I said, yeah. And so she came up and she said, I need to accept Jesus as my Savior. And I was like, who told you to say that? Like, I didn't say that in my message. Like, I didn't talk about that from the stage. Like, what, what's going on? She said, my roommate stayed up with me till 3 a.m. last night explaining to me how the brokenness in my life has been destroying me and how Jesus can rescue me from that brokenness and he can heal the deepest place in my heart, and I need Jesus. And so we prayed right there in the hallway outside of the, the auditorium for her to give her life to Jesus. I've seen it go both ways in the city. I've seen these crazy extremes, and I've seen that, like, sometimes... Sometimes training has nothing to do with it. Sometimes persuasiveness has something, nothing to do with it. It just seems to be about the power of God at work in a person's life. Here's kind of what I've learned. Here's what I've, I've kind of, the way I summarized it down, living in the city and talking to other people about Jesus. It's up on the slide here. There is no argument convincing enough or miracle powerful enough to make someone believe in Jesus. There's not. You know, there, there, there is, there is no way that just in, in the city of Boston that you can just be convincing enough and have the best arguments and just talk people into believing in Jesus because you are such a great debater and philosopher, or as a Christian would say, an apologist. You can't make someone believe because you talk them into it. Now, 
that is, uh, so some churches kind of go more on the intellectual side and the convincing argument side. Some churches kind of tend more on the supernatural, spiritual, miraculous side, you know, kind of depending on what your Christian tradition is. And they say, well, like, if there were just these acts of power and there were these miracles and, you know, they're always praying, like, God, fire, fall down. And I'm like, I'm not sure that's a good idea. We might all die, right? But it's like, you know, you know, if these miracles were happening, then people would believe. And you know what? I just, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think so. Because first of all, you wouldn't believe it. Like if somebody came up right now on stage and like, or maybe like I took off my, my jacket and I was like, whoosh, and then you all fell down, right? Or somebody came up on stage and they were blind and then, you know, and then they could see. You know what you would probably think? That guy's a con artist. You, now think about this. This is a crazy thought. You would think that whether that person was actually healed or not. So there is no miracle powerful enough that's going to make someone believe in Jesus. And as evidence for this, I submit to you Jesus Christ who was the most compelling and persuasive teacher ever to walk the face of the earth, and most people walked away from him. I submit to you Jesus Christ, who did miracles that would make anything that we could pull off look like you know, it was like, you know, he was, he was healing the blind, the, 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 the deaf were hearing, the mute were speaking, the dead were raised. Like, he would, like, there were people, they were dead, and then they were not dead, and people were like, I'm not sure about this Jesus guy. There is no argument convincing enough or miracle powerful enough to make people believe. And so here's, here's what I want you to get from that, is I don't want you to get discouraged in the city when despite your best efforts, people don't believe. And I don't want you to get prideful when, because of your efforts in the city, people do believe. I think it's so important that we get clear on what God does and what people do, what we do, because when we're clear on what God does, we can give God the credit for what God does. And when we're clear on what we do, then we know, okay, I can stay in my lane. And I don't have to get despondent and despairing when people aren't coming to faith in Jesus. And I don't have to get prideful when people are. Like, I just, I do me, what God has told me to do. And then God does what only God can do, and God gets all the credit for it. So we got to get clear on what God does and what people do. And the way we're going to do that is by looking in the Bible at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, I hope that you have a Bible with you today. If you don't have a Bible, period, our church has one to give you at the end of the service. Make sure you stop by the table at the end. We want to give you a Bible. Um, If you're a Christian and renewals your home, I want to encourage you to bring a paper Bible with you every week. Um, It's it's like, um, I don't know how to explain it. It's like a book. There's like paper pages. They're, they're, you know, thin together. There's a table of content. The whole old school deal. Because um, it's going to help you as we work through it together. And what's, what's going to happen in 1 Corinthians, it's chapter 1, verses 20, all the way through chapter 2, verse 5, is we're going to get clear on what we do and what God does. In the context, they're going to talk about this in Corinth. Now, the, the book of Corinthians was written to the city of Corinth. Corinth was a large city. It was a non-Christian city. It was a city known for basically three things, um, trade and commerce, Religion mixed with sexual immorality and athletic competition and greatness. So it was like ancient Boston, basically. That's, that was Corinth. And the Apostle Paul, which is, um, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He, he, he wasn't a Christian to start off with, but he had this crazy encounter with Jesus. And Jesus did a 180. He, he, used, to, he used to hunt Christians down and throw them in jail. He was trying to put the whole movement away. And then, and then he had this just turnaround moment where he encountered God. And he spent the rest of his life starting new churches and building churches. And he had started this church in in Corinth. And he's going to write back to this church in Corinth, explaining to them his methods about how he actually brought the message of Jesus to them. 
But first, he's going to give us the why he operated that way. So what we're going to gain from the scriptures today is um, why Paul shared the gospel the way that he did. And then at the end, there's five verses, and they give us um, five things we do to share the gospel. Okay, so let's look at it, starting in verse 20. He starts off by saying, so where does this leave the philosophers? Now, when he says this, he's talking about the message of the cross. And this is printed on the front of your notes if you don't have a paper Bible with you. Where does this message of the cross leave the philosophers? Where does it leave the scholars? Now, scholars is a a, a translation of the word scribes, and scribes were religious experts. Now, think about that for a second. The message of the cross is leaving religious experts in the dust, They couldn't see it coming. It says, where does it leave the world's brilliant debaters? In the Greek philosophers, they were known for their debate. They would would all come together in these lecture halls, and people would lecture, and they would either cheer them or they would boo them, and they were incredible philosophical debaters. You've heard of the Boston Speaker Series. This was like the Corinth Speaker Series. These These were serious intellectual heavyweights. He says, this message of the cross, God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. So all the wise people... And all the professors and all the greatest philosophers look foolish because of what God has done. 21, since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. This is crazy. This means the way God set up the world is that people cannot just think and think and think and think and figure out God. God set it up that way. That through all the wisdom of the world, people cannot know God, not fully. Um, perhaps you've heard the story of the religions of the world where they're trying to figure out what God is like and there's like, it's like these, uh, these people who are blindfolded and there's an elephant and they're each trying to, to figure out what it is and so they've got their blindfold on and one of them feels the, the leg and they say, oh, it's, it's like a tree you know, and one of them feels the tail and they're like, oh, it's like a vine and one of them feels the trunk and he's, you know, it's like, oh, it's a snake, right? And so the, the, the truth that that story is capturing that from a, a From a human's limited perspective, you cannot know all of God. Now, that's actually very true. But it it leaves something out that Christians believe that is just utterly utterly compelling, which is that it, it leaves out the idea that the elephant might speak and say, I am an elephant. And so you have this very limited perspective that on your own, because of your human perspective and your limited wisdom, you cannot figure out God. But if God chooses to say, I am God, this is what I'm like, this is who I am, as a human, you may never comprehend the entirety of who God is, but you can begin to understand who God is because he has told you. Christianity is the story in which the elephant speaks God wants the world to know what he is like by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to the world. And here is how God is going to let the world know that he is an elephant. By other people talking about Jesus. By other people telling other people about Jesus. The Bible calls it preaching. Now, preaching in the Bible is not this, not exactly Because think about this. In the first century, were there stages? No. Was there ever a pulpit or for cheap churches like us, music stands? (laughs) No. Preaching in the New Testament was ordinary people telling other people about an extraordinary Savior. That's it. Ordinary people telling other people about an extraordinary Savior. 
just one person telling another. That's actually mostly how Christianity spread in the first century when it took over the Roman world was through business and family relationships when other people would just tell other people about Jesus. So the the verse continues here. It says, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. And I think that um, it would be wise to circle in your notes or in your Bible the word signs and the word wisdom, because that's that's the two guiding ideas here is the Jews wanted signs from heaven. In other words, you, the Jews wanted miraculous acts of power from God, right? In other words, you know, because in the Jewish way of thinking, and if you look back in the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, you always see, you know, if someone is a messenger from God, then these miraculous acts accompany them, and that's how you say, like, oh, I know, that. that's how I know this person speaks for God. And so the Jews wanted miraculous acts of power. They wanted a miracle, the Greeks didn't want miracles. They wanted convincing arguments because, you know, you have the philosophers of, of Greek antiquity. You have Plato. You have Aristotle. They wanted you to start from first principles to prove that God exists. And isn't it crazy that these are still the two things that people want to see? They say, you know, I would believe if I could just see a miracle. Like if God would just open up the skies, you know, there'd be writing in the heavens or I could hear and then, you know, like this voice that would come to me. And if I could just see this miracle, then I would believe. But for other people, it's like, I just want the convincing argument. And if you could just, starting from first principles, come up with the argument that proves God exists, then I would believe. And you wonder, if God exists, why isn't there an argument that proves it? If God exists, why doesn't he do a miracle? Maybe that's you. Or maybe that's the friend, the relative, the associate, or the neighbor that you've been trying to reach out to. But he continues. So instead of the, the miracle, instead of the argument, verse 23, so when we preach that Christ was crucified, so instead of doing those things, they just talk about Jesus dying on a cross. You're like, how's that for a strategy? He's like, oh, you'd like an airtight argument? Like, well, let me tell you about Jesus dying on the cross. Like, oh, you'd like to see a miracle? That's interesting, but let me tell you about Jesus dying on the cross. He says, when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. The Jews were offended because the cross looks like weakness, humiliation, and cursing. In uh, the Old Testament, it says, cursed is everyone who, who is hung upon a tree. And so people who died by being either impaled on a stake, or some of them, there was a story of one man who, who got caught in a tree and choked to death. It was a sign that God's curse was on them. And so the fact that Jesus died on a cross, every, every, every Jew who knew his Old Testament, which was every Jew, you know, could look at that and go like, well, obviously God has cursed him. And so they were, it was incredibly offensive to say, oh, and this is God. The, so they, the Jews are offended. The Gentiles say it's nonsense. The Gentiles, uh, were, uh, which were the Greeks, were developing Gnostic thought at this time. And so the scholars refer to this time period as proto-Gnostic thought. And basically what it means is this. The, the spirit is good. The body is bad. And so the, the, the Christian message made no sense to them whatsoever because Paul once told them the story about Jesus. And he said, this Jesus, he died on the cross. And uh, so his, in, in, in their minds, his spirit was separated from his body. And they thought, well, that's a good thing. And then Paul said, and then he rose from the dead and, the, and God put him in a new body. And they didn't, they, didn't, they, didn't, um, they didn't jeer at him. They didn't boo at him. They laughed at him. They thought, that's the dumbest thing we've ever heard. If your spirit was finally liberated from your body, why would you put it back in a body? 
And so to them, it was, just, it was like nonsense to the Greeks. They thought it was offensive, or they thought it was nonsense. Maybe you think it's nonsense. Maybe your friends think it's nonsense. Maybe your college professors thought it was all nonsense. Maybe the most wisest, most powerful, and learned people think it's nonsense. Or maybe you think it's offensive. I mean, this is still what people think about it for different reasons than the Jews did, to be sure. But seriously, if you're claiming to have the way to God, that is offensive. What person thinks they can lay claim to that? This message about Jesus dying on the cross and rising again is offensive nonsense. Isn't it wild how the more things change, the more people stay the same? So if this message about Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead so that your sins could be forgiven is offensive nonsense, then how could anyone ever believe? Look at verse 24. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. You see, it all revolves around God. When God starts working in your life, you, you know, it's like, you want miraculous acts of power? I mean, what could I do here today that would ever be greater than Jesus dying on the cross and then rising from the dead? Listen, this is a guy who predicted his own death and resurrection and then pulled it off. Like, what miracle do you want to see that's greater than that? Like we're, like, we're done needing miracles after that one. He was dead for three days. The body was stinking in the tomb, and then he rose from the dead. Like, if you want a sign of God's power, you've got it. Christ is the power of God. And not only that, he's the wisdom of God, too. You know, the, the, the cross and the resurrection is the plan of wisdom that no human could ever come up with on their own. God coming down... And dying, specifically in the way that indicated to people that Jesus was cursed by God, he took on the sins of the world so that we could may be made right with God. I mean, would you ever come up with this? And, and that when God did it this way, he could both be just in condemning our sins and he could be the justifier, the one who makes us right with God at the same time. That's wisdom that humans can't come up with. Listen, if, I, if, I, if you had never heard this story before and I locked you in a room Maybe there were an infinite number of you with an infinite number of typewriters, like those monkeys. No one's heard of this? Okay. <laughs> if I gave you a thousand years, locked in a room, would you ever come back with this? God will come to earth as a person to suffer and die in the place of sinners so that God's justice and mercy will be satisfied at the same time. Then he will rise from the dead and return to God so that God will still have the supremacy over everything, including death. You know, this, this plan, which seems foolish to some people and lacks powers to others, is the most powerful and wise plan ever developed. There is no argument. There is no wisdom greater than the plan of salvation. And that's what the, verse, that's what the text continues to say in verse 25. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you, because Christianity has historically been a religion that has spread fastest among the poor. Verse 27, instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise, and he chose things that are powerless to shame those that are powerful. God chose the despised by the, things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. 
I used to think this passage was essentially saying, hey, listen, God's smart, uh, you know, God's foolishness is smarter than the smartest person in the room, and God's weakness is stronger than the strongest person in the room. It's actually saying a little more than that. It's saying um, God is more powerful, God's weakness is more powerful than the strongest person, and he shows that off precisely by when when ordinary, unimpressive people tell other people about Jesus, God's miraculous power just explodes in their life when they turn from their sin to follow Jesus. That's how you see it. That's where it comes alive. That's where you see the foolishness of God wiser than man's wisdom is because he picked telling other people about Jesus. Like, God, you could have picked anything. You could have picked, you know, the the acts of power. You could have picked the apostles. You could have picked anything. You picked telling people about Jesus. And that's where you see his power. If you've ever thought to yourself, if I had to tell my friend about Jesus, it would not be very impressive then consider that you may be the exact person God wants to use so that he shows off his power instead of your skill. So here's the bottom line. It's on the slide. Some people want convincing arguments. Some people want to see power from miracles. God gave us Jesus. God gave us Jesus. There's nothing more convincing than his death on the cross and his resurrection. There's nothing more powerful than Jesus' defeat of Satan, sin, and death. And therefore, God decided that telling people about Jesus is how people should come to believe so that it's clear that God is doing a miraculous work in them. Now, we talked when we started about getting clear on what God does and getting clear on what you do so you can stay in your lane. So here, we're going to focus on what God does as we finish up this text. Verse 29, as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Now, look at what God, I want you to focus on what God does here. Verse 30, God has united you with Christ Jesus. That's not something you do, that's something God does. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. That's something God does. Christ made us right with God. If you want to write the theological terms down for this, uh, he is our righteousness, Here's another thing God did. He made us pure. He sanctified us and holy. He freed us from sin. He has become our redemption. So these are all things that God does. And therefore, verse 31, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only in the Lord. (coughs) Boast only about what God is doing because Jesus is everything to us. He's our wisdom, our holiness, our freedom, our right standing with God. He is everything. And when he is preached, that is just explained and other people are told about Jesus by unimpressive people in an unimpressive way, then God gets the credit when people believe. That's what God does. Here's the the follow-up slide that helps us see what we do. So when someone believes through preaching, you're watching God show off his power. God does all the work of saving but it is our responsibility to do the work of telling. That's it. God does all the work of saving and we do all the work of telling so that he can show off his power and he can get the glory. Now, what I wanna spend the the rest of our time here on the message today is you've got some notes in there and we're gonna go through these pretty quickly because they're very, very straightforward. The next five verses in this text, chapter two, verses one, two, three, four, and five, Give us five actions to make Jesus known. So we've spent a lot of time getting really clear on what God does. And now you're going to see, Paul is going to say, when I came to Corinth, here's the things I did based on God doing all of this. 
So if God is going to do all this and God is going to be powerful and God's going to be wise, then here's what we do. And so I want to give you five actions to make Jesus known. And as we go through them, I want you to think, God, which one of these do I need to, do I need to take? Which step do I need to take this week? Number one, here's a place to write down some notes. I initiate conversations about Jesus. How simple is that? God's not going to do it for you. God does all this work. Our work is talk to people about Jesus. When the message about Jesus first came to Corinth, it came because someone decided to leave what was comfortable, go into new territory, and talk about Jesus. Paul left his home church of Ephesus. He went to Corinth, which was a dangerous journey, just to tell people about Jesus. 1 Corinthians 2.1 says, When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. Circle that phrase, when I first came to you. Paul made the intentional decision to show up and start talking about Jesus. And I wonder who among us today needs to leave what is comfortable, go into new territory, and talk to someone about Jesus. Do you need to go into new territory with your roommate? I could have gotten an amen from anyone from the mouth of babes. Word from the Lord, I claim it, name it and claim it. (laughs) Do you need to go into new territory with your parents? Man, you talk about growing up, one of the hardest conversations you'll ever have in your life is when you talk to your own parents about Jesus. (sighs) Come on. (laughs) Do you need to go into new territory with your coworker or with your brothers and sisters? Where do you need to leave the land you know, go into new territory to initiate the conversation about Jesus. The work God does is to show off his power as ordinary people talk about an extraordinary savior. The work you have to do is talk about Jesus. I heard an NFL player gave his testimony about how he came to faith in Jesus. He, He was a rookie in the NFL, and he was just getting used to being fabulously rich and fabulously famous, and so he didn't want anything to do with Jesus this first year. But um, there was an older guy, a player on the team, who every day after practice during shower time would walk around buck naked and talk to the other players one at a time about Jesus. And I I can't remember the name they called that guy. I think it was inappropriate. So anyway, you know, and so one day uh, this older player comes up to the rookie and it's like his turn. And so he's like totally naked and he goes do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Just like that. I mean, that was just what he, what he said to everybody. And uh, the, the way uh, the rookie told his testimony was like, it, it, just, it just shocked him. And you can imagine, that's shocking. But it started, it, he didn't come to faith that day, but it really started this thing in his heart. And so over time, you know, he started investigating. He went online and watched videos. And he ended up coming to faith in Jesus. And he ended up, once he retired from the NFL, he became a pastor. And now he's a pastor of thousands and when he tells his testimony, he, he says this. He says, I will share my faith with any person at any time. Because once someone totally naked shares their testimony with you in the shower, you have no excuses. <laughs> That's what it is. Now, I'm not suggesting that. In fact, just as your pastor, I really want to counsel you against that. <laughs> However, you know, uh, we often make excuses. We, we have a million excuses, and we have better excuses than that one. But God is just waiting for us to start a conversation about Jesus. He is waiting to display his power through your awkward conversation about Jesus. So who do you need to go into some new territory and initiate a conversation with today? Number two, 
I speak plainly about Jesus and the cross. Let me go back to the second half of verse one. It says, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. Now, this came from the Apostle Paul. I mean, he was the best trained person. He was the the, the greatest evangelist perhaps that ever lived. He was one of the, the sharpest minds of antiquity. He gave us the book of Romans, but he had a completely different strategy. Chapter two, verse two. I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. Paul decided that the best way for God to show off his power was to be as simple and straightforward about Jesus as possible. Therefore, no one could ever say, Paul talked them into it. In fact, later in some other letters in the New Testament, people would accuse Paul of being a terrible public speaker and an unimpressive person. He laid his abilities aside so that God's abilities could shine through. God's abilities are the ability to convict someone of sin, the ability to change a human heart, the ability to unite someone with Christ. So when you initiate a conversation about Jesus, there are some things you need to forget. See, he forgot everything. And there are some things you need to remember. You've got to forget your training. You've got to forget your educational credentials. You need to forget that seminar you read on being a persuasive person. You need to forget that time that you read how to win friends and influence people. Paul said he forgot everything. And so what are you relying on too heavily other than God's power? But you need to remember one important thing, Jesus Christ and his cross. Jesus is everything you need, and the cross is the culmination of his work. There's no Jesus without the cross. There's no cross without Jesus. When you come back to that, an ordinary person telling other people about an extraordinary Savior, God has a chance to show off his power. I used to have a youth pastor who would say, "Um, I don't want you to believe because I talked you into it, because if I can talk you into it, someone else can talk you out of it. He wanted us to believe because there was a deep and abiding faith in our heart for God. All right, number three, let's keep rolling. I trust that my weakness shows God's strength. God does all this powerful work, but I've got to trust that my weak God will use my weakness. Nobody in this world likes to be weak. But the only time it's good to be weak is when you want to show off someone else's strength. That's why Paul showed up in weakness instead of strength. Verse three, I came to you in weakness, timid, and trembling. Um, They used to have this thing uh, called the power team, which was a, a bunch of Christian bodybuilders and weightlifters And they would like travel around the country. They still have it, I think, actually. They travel around the country and they would perform these incredible strengths of feet, uh, feats of strength. And then they would tell people about Jesus. And you know, Christians are so weird. Like, why did we make this a thing? I have no idea, like, like, why we decided, like, this was going to be a thing, but this is a thing. I think, actually, Heather, they came to your church when you were a kid, didn't they? Yeah. And so, um, and it did wonders for her. So we're thinking about it, maybe bringing them in, see what happens. Um, what they would do is they would uh, have someone from the crowd, they would like pick the biggest, bulkiest looking guy in the crowd, they'd say, come on up here, and they would give them a phone book. <sighs> 10 years ago, we used to have these things called phone books, and they, they would actually put everyone's number in the city publicly in a book. I mean, it was crazy. So anyway, uh, but it was this big fat book, and they would have someone from the crowd come up, they'd say, tear this book in half, and you know, the guy's like, Rrr! you know, you can't do it. And, and then, so, like, they kind of show off like he's not strong enough. And then they would just give it to one of the power team members. And, and that dude or that lady would just, like, rip this phone book in half, right? The reason they called up the person first is because they wanted to show off someone's weakness because it made the second guy look even stronger. 
Now, there's actually something happening there that's like, that's what Christianity is. Like when you show up in weakness, timid and trembling, without any power of your own, the power of God shines through brighter. So, when we walk around chest-thumping and strong, we're not pointing people to God's strength, but our strength. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, 9. This is in your notes. Each time God said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. When it comes to telling someone about Jesus, have you ever felt weak? Have you ever felt like, this is terrifying for me. I don't think I'm going to do a good job. Have you ever felt uh, timid and trembling? I know I have. That is exactly the position God wants you in so that he can show off his power. But you have to trust. God is going to use this weakness to show off his strength. Number four, my actions I pray for God to fill me with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gift God gives to everyone who turns from their sin to follow Jesus. He does does different things in the life of a believer, but here's the big ones. He helps you become like Jesus. He makes you holy. You know, he's called the Holy Spirit. He guides you, but he also gives you spiritual power. That power is available to every Christian that Spiritual power, and it was the same power that was at work in the Apostle Paul. Verse 4, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul dialed down the persuasiveness and dialed up the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. His gospel presentation was simple. It was straightforward. It was plain, but he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and that made all the difference. You can pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says if you, when, you, when you put your faith in Jesus for the first time, you're given the Holy Spirit. But you can pray to be filled with him. It's sort of like um, if you take a sponge in your hand and you put, make a fist out of it, and then you plunge it into a bucket of water, and you open up your hand, that sponge absorbs all the water that's in there. That's what a Christian who has the Holy Spirit can do. You can pray and God say, fill me up even more. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you have the power you need. Now, this spiritual power is often the power to help others hear and believe the message about Jesus. Acts 1.8, this is the memory verse for today. Actually, I think it'd be good for us to read this out loud together. We don't always do that. So let's start um, Acts 1.8. It says, you will receive. Ready and go. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The disciples of Jesus were actually told to stay put until they receive the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine that? Jesus dies. He rises from the dead, and you're like, all right, Jesus, this is the the big one. We're gonna go change the world. We're gonna tell everybody about Jesus. What's your commands? What are you telling us to do? And Jesus is like, don't touch anything. Because until you've got the Holy Spirit in you, guiding you, giving you power, and making you like me, you're only gonna break things. So stay put. And then later, when they fill the Holy Spirit, then he says, go. If you're a Christian, when you've got the Holy Spirit, you've got what you need to go. You've got everything you need. If you've got the Holy Spirit, you've got a healthy dose of fear, and you've got some weakness in you, you're ready to talk about Jesus. In fact, if you don't feel weak and timid and you feel like all amped up, you probably don't need to talk to people about Jesus. I mean, like, you know, that's how you end up with people just yelling at people about Jesus. It's not any good. 
When you've got the Holy Spirit, you've got what you need. So pray for God to fill you and rely on his power. Okay, those are the first four things that we do. And here's the fifth. Ready? Fifth and final action that we take. I give God all the credit. We often take credit for what God has done. Because we forget that God did it. But when you get clear on what God does and what you do, things get pretty radically simple. Did you change a human heart? No. Do you have the power to unite someone to Christ? Not last time I checked. Do you do incredible miracles? No. (laughs) Did you make convincing arguments so powerfully convincing that people were like, I've just never heard arguments like that before. I'm going to repent of my sins and trust in Jesus. Most of us, the answer is no. What exactly do you do in this process? You're like, I got really nervous, and then I told them about Jesus dying on the cross for their sins. That's it? Like, that's all I did, man. You see, when you know what you do, it's easy to give God the credit for what he has done. 1 Corinthians 2, 5, verse 5, I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. It is the Apostle Paul's deepest hope that people trust in God's power, that God gets the credit for what's happening here. He says, essentially, I made my message plain and simple so that when you come to know God, you're trusting in his power, not in my speeches. And when God shows off, then we can brag about what he's done. It's the only time as Christians we get to boast. Romans 15, 18, this is the Apostle Paul again. He says, yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me. Like the only thing you can boast about is what Jesus did. Bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I worked among them. He can say, yeah, I had a part in it, but Christ did all the heavy lifting. I want to invite the band to come back, the worship team, excuse me, at this time. They're going to play another song for us. And as they do, I want to invite you and challenge you. You The response to this message is really quite simple and very obvious. And I want to give you a chance to write it on the back of your connection card today. You can drop that in the offering basket when it comes by. So go ahead and take out your connection card. But I really believe this, that as we respond to God's word, I believe that if if you've turned from your sin to follow Jesus, you've got the Holy Spirit, I bet God has brought someone to your mind where you would say, I haven't been as bold as I should have been. Like, I, I should talk to them about Jesus. And I know, I know you may feel timid. You may feel weak. You may feel like, this is going to be awkward. You know, it's like, but I want you to believe and trust, just like the Apostle Paul, that maybe the simpler it is, maybe the more plain and straightforward it is, maybe the less eloquent you are, the more God will show off his power through you. And so I wanna invite you on your connection card to write down the name of someone you wanna share about Jesus with this week. Maybe it's a phone call you need to make, it's a coffee with a roommate you need to schedule, it's dinner after work with a coworker. And if you write that name down on your connection card, we are going to pray with you and for you that you have the Holy Spirit so you have God's power available to you. And we're gonna pray for God to open this person's heart. And I believe that through the power of prayer, God is gonna do something through you this week that you could never do on yourself. He's gonna invite you to be a part of his work in their life. 
but you only get to see God do what God does when you take that step of faith and do what God has invited you to do.